lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Let's get it going here today on Blaze TV. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre, live and on demand on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Today we will discuss really unprecedented polling numbers, like the kind of stuff I don't think has ever been seen in the history of modern polling and maybe some of the things we we never thought we would ever see. We will talk to one of the most heroic figures uh, throughout the course of the COVID stan invasion. Uh, Dr. Pierre Corey will join us at the bottom of this hour. Theology Thursday will continue our series on my new book, Do What You Believe, or You Won't Be Free to Believe It Much Longer, which is written as a study guide. It even has uh, study guide questions in the back that Todd was kind enough to author for the book. We'll go through those questions and discuss those as we look at the first chapter. We did the introduction last week, so it'll be chapter one this week. That's coming up next hour, and we'll have three non-political questions as well. I got a note. I like it when I get good notes from our advertise about our advertisers in my inbox. Uh, we've been telling you, you know, about Tommy John on this show now for going on two years, and how much I love this product. And it is, um, you know, it is the only underwear I own, I buy nowadays or wear when I do wear it. Are we about to let another man talk about his underwear for a change? We're not. We're going to let a chick do it, actually. okay. And that's why I'm actually going to do this, all right? So, you know, they have a line of women's uh, undergarments, too, but because I'm not Lindsey Graham, I can't really (laughs) personally attest to the quality or the sensation of wearing uh, such uh, regalia. Uh, Thankfully, Clara Beth Davis recently Send me this note. After hearing you rave about your underwear, I bought some of the ladies. Let's clarify this for Clara Beth, okay? Not too many dudes named Clara Beth, not even these days, right? Uh, I bought some of the ladies' underwear, and yes, they are the most comfortable underwear I've ever owned. I'm even going to buy more. And I can't give a product a better endorsement other than after they let me try it for free, I've gone back on more than one occasion and bought more of it out of my own pocket. And that's how good of a product it is over at Tommy John. And if you want to try it now... Uh, free shipping site-wide and up to $30 off your order when you go to TommyJohn.com slash Steve. That's TommyJohn.com slash Steve. Up to $30 off your order site-wide and free shipping when you go to TommyJohn.com slash Steve. I promise you, you will not regret it. And now, without further ado, here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Pulls, 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 a new Quinnipiac poll. That's a very Democrat-leaning poll. Has Joe Biden's approval rating under 50% among black voters? His approval rating is just 24% among Hispanics and just 22% among 18 to 34-year-olds. The only two groups giving him a majority approval are Democrats and college-educated whites. A new NPR poll, which oversampled Democrats by plus five compared to the 2020 election results, shows Biden is underwater overall by 15 points. Amongst independents, he's underwater by 26 points. In the Midwest, he's underwater by 19 points, but he's absolutely killing it with Karen. He boasts a plus 27-point approval rating with white college-educated women. Biden has also hit a fresh all-time low in the real clear politics polling average at just 39.7% approval. 
Of course, one of the things driving this is the price of gas, which is regularly now setting new all-time highs in the United States. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm is showing you she's locked in on rising gas prices by raising the rainbow flag at the U.S. Department of Energy and reading poetry. I celebrate myself and sing myself and what I assume you shall assume. For every atom belonging to me, as good belongs to you. Senator John Kennedy, your thoughts? In, in my state, the price of gas is so high that it would be cheaper to buy cocaine and just <laughs> run everywhere. <laughs> Fake laugh, hiding real pain. Aaron's Razor update, it's just demonic bro. Congressman Ted Lieu has some thoughts on the Bible and homosexuality. I just thought I would now recite for you what Jesus Christ said about homosexuality. For those of you listening, what uh, Congressman Liu is attempting to do is point out that Christ said nothing about homosexuality, which is, of course, part of the heresy known as Martianism, which denies the God of the Old Testament is the same one as the New Testament. Other than that, cool point, bro. A California man was arrested outside of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh's residence in Maryland early Wednesday morning. The man was armed with a handgun and pepper spray, among other things. The man said he was there to murder the justice and told authorities he was trying to give his life meaning. He's since been charged with attempting or threatening to kidnap or murder a U.S. judge. It's been nearly 40 days since the draft of the Dobbs opinion was leaked. In addition to this attempt on Kavanaugh's life, a pro-life pregnancy center in upstate New York was the latest pro-life group to be firebombed this week. As a reminder, here's what Chuck Schumer had to say about attempts to end baby killing back in 2020. You killed your mother! Your servant. You left her alone Oops, wrong clip. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. The View has some thoughts on gun grabbing. Here's the thing, once black people get guns in this country, the gun laws will change, trust me. The deal is back on. Twitter has reversed course and decided to provide billionaire Elon Musk data regarding how many bots utilize the platform. The company had previously been resistant to the idea, but once again, Musk holds all the cards. And finally, children's toy company Mattel has finally released a pregnant Ken Barbie doll. New from Mattel, Barbie's boyfriend is getting a much needed and way more inclusive makeover. Introducing... you know he's pregnant and his beard lets you know he's a man because men can get pregnant just like women in fact there's no definition of women we literally have no idea what a woman is pregnant ken does all the normal things every birthing person does like chest feed then hide his breasts with chest binders he rocks baby to sleep with his supple masculine arms and ken being a man and therefore a good driver can even put baby in the back of the car for a fun drive around town but not everyone in Barbie world is as open-minded as Ken. Men can't get pregnant? Hey, wait a minute. You're just a woman on hormones. Shut up, bigot. That's the Babylon Bee, and that's what happened while we were away. 
Aaron's Montage, brought to you by our friends over at Keeps. If you are an actual man and you are concerned about male pattern baldness, receding hairline, or you just want to take care of the hair you still have, uh, our friends over at Keeps can do that for you, and they can keep it on the down low as well. First of all, you save all kinds of money at Keeps because they give you the generic versions of the most popular and effective approved healthcare and hair care products out there. But uh, then they make it convenient by keeping it all in line, which also keeps it discreet, uh, just snap a few pics of your hair, answer a few questions online, get hooked up directly uh, via telehealth with a licensed physician, and you're off uh, with the right treatment for you. And then they make it really convenient again by delivering it right to your door. And then they offer even more savings to get you started. Half off your first order today when you go to keeps.com slash grow. K-E-E-P-S is how it's spelled for those of you like me who went to public school. Keeps.com slash grow. Again, that is keeps.com slash grow. All right. In the overtime today, which we are going to record right after today's program. I ran a poll earlier this week on my Twitter feed. Over 5,000 people voted in this. And we asked, do you consider Operation Warp Speed to be a heroic success of the Trump administration? 82% voted no. 82%. We will discuss those results and what they may or may not mean today in the overtime, which we will record right after today's show for Blaze TV subscribers who will then get to watch it later today after we upload it at blazetv.com slash dace. And if you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber, but you would like to become one, that's also where you can go to make that happen. Just about 10 bucks a month when you go to blazetv.com slash D-E-A-C-E. So let's go to the montage and, and what I teased there about these polling numbers. And so I've kept track of this stuff going back several cycles, but I just want to go back to the last election. The most inaccurate national polls in the last election from what they forecast in their final poll to what happened on election day. It was actually a tie. And and you won't be surprised at who two of the entities that are tied here. It was a three-way tie. CNN, you're not shocked, are you? No. NPR. No, you're not shocked, are you? Okay. And USC, these were the three least accurate polls. They were off by 8.9 points. Just 8.9. Now, what's funny about USC is they were one of the more accurate ones in 2016. They, they, they weren't quite there with Rasmussen and Trafalgar, but they thought there was also more of a hidden Trump vote than the other mainstream pollsters did. And apparently they paid dearly for doing some honest work in that cycle and realized they needed to make alms to the spirit of the age. So well done, I guess is what yeah. I can say. You completely shot your credibility, which is exactly what you were trying to do. Is this what we'd call polling adjacent? <laughs> nice. That's going to be the new term du jour here on the show, isn't I like it? it? Yes. So after those three, the next most inaccurate poll of the 2020 election, Quinnipiac. Quinnipiac was off by 7.9 points. 7.9. Quinnipiac had Ron DeSantis losing as governor of Florida by seven points. And he won, obviously. Quinnipiac is one of the most hacktastic public polls out there. It has a huge Democrat bias. 
So I would normally not spend a lot of time breaking down Quinnipiac polling. I mean, you've been working here since, what, 2015? So even, in tw- yeah, so January even, 2015. Yeah, so even back then when I actually still thought this was all honest data and we would break it down for the audience, can you recall how often we sat here and broke down Quinnipiac polls? Wasn't very often. No, you've always been, I mean, that's one thing you do. You make people understand the, the names of these various polls. Um, exactly. So Quinnipiac is not a poll to follow. Except in this case, we're going to make an exception. Because if a poll with this level of Democrat bias. Crazy voices. Here they are. Is this this documented going back numerous cycles as essentially being like whenever someone releases, and I don't care if it's Republican or Democrat, and I've even got friends on the right who run organizations that play this trick. No names mentioned. Suddenly there's like an outlier poll from a super PAC that shows someone that no one was taking seriously or no one thought had a chance to win, was winning or in striking distance, right? Okay, don't ever believe those polls. Whether they come from a Republican or a Democrat, don't ever believe those polls. Throw them uh, in the trash. That's essentially what Quinnipiac is. I mean, NPR came out with a poll today that had Biden at a 38% approval rating. That, that, that poll sample was plus six Democrat. The 2020 election was plus one Democrat. So there's five times more Democrats in the NPR polling sample than what we saw in the turnout in 2020, and they still have Biden with a 38% approval. So then how bad is it really? But there's a couple of things internally in Quinnipiac's poll that I think we should talk about. Because I didn't have time this morning to go back and like look at polling in the 80s. But I'm pretty confident. Like, I put money on it. That this has never happened before in the modern polling industry. Joe Biden, in the Quinnipiac poll now, again, a poll that overestimated his turnout in the 2020 election by eight points. That's incredible. I mean, that's just incredible. Like, this should be like that walk at the end of Game of Thrones. Shame, (laughs) shame, shame. I mean, shut yourself down. It's a Sophocles play. Take the hemlock at the end. Salvage whatever shred of dignity that you have left and your family legacy. Don't, Don't put that evil on Ricky Bobby Jr., okay? And just shut it down now. End it. Shutter it. But we don't have that. We don't have an honor culture anymore. So there is nobody ashamed of virtually anything, including being off by an order of magnitude in the <clears throat> most secure election of our lifetimes. So Quinnipiac is back. And inside the Quinnipiac poll are two numbers that made my jaw drop. I guarantee you. These have never happened before. I don't even have to go back and research it. I'd, I'd bet money this has never happened before. Joe Biden's approval rating with Hispanics is 24%. 24, guys. It's 
and roughly on average in any political federal election they get i mean it's what 50 to 60 percent of a the, the, vote since or 40 1980 to 60? republicans averaged have averaged, averaged about 36 percent of the hispanic vote george w bush got 40 once the first time he ran in 2000 and then the second highest that actually any republican has gotten since reagan in 84 with his historic landslide uh trump in 2020 so it was the, the election was only plus one democrat Trump got the second best score with Hispanics since 1984, but the other guy got 81 million votes. Again, because it was the most secure election of our lifetimes, right? Okay. So let that sink in for just a moment. I mean, we've had Republican presidential candidates get like 24% of the Hispanic vote, guys. So stop and, and you know who it is, by the way, it's always the ones that are the weakest on immigration that perform the worst with Hispanics. So George W. Bush saw a decline in his Hispanic support for his second run once he went soft on immigration. McCain did terrible among Hispanics. Trump even did better. When Trump was out there tweeting out photos of taco bowls for Cinco de Mayo and referencing that one Mexican judge, remember that? We were sitting here thinking, we're going to get so freaking killed, right? He still did better than Mitt Romney. Opened the, Mitt opened the borders Romney got from the Hispanics in 2012. It's always the guys weakest on immigration that do the worst with Hispanics every time. Every time. So 24% is mind-numbing for a Democrat. But I'm going to throw a number at you that's even more apocalyptic. Joe Biden has is, is underwater in the Quinnipiac poll, guys, with blacks. Now, it's not by much. It's like 49%, okay? But that's but irrelevant that, to what you're pointing out. That, that, but, so to answer the question yeah. I know you want to ask next, one time since 1964 has a Republican gotten more than 16% of the black there vote. It is. One time since 1964, Ronald Reagan, 1984, and it was like 17%. This is why, to make your point, you made, you should hope that they try to steal this next election. Because the, they, yeah. they don't have a narrative. Right. They had a narrative. They, they created a narrative to judge. That's what all these polls were doing last time. That's why we were debunking their methodologies. Because it was clear they were setting, an, uh, they were setting up a narrative. Well, we've got all these polls. They don't have that this time. I, I, I guarantee you there has never been a Democratic president ever, ever underwater with black America. In approval rating. And and it, the only thing you can contemplate where that might have occurred was the Carter era. I'll bet you the question wasn't even asked because it was just not even pondered that he would not still get 90% of the black vote. In fact, I'm going to look that up really quick, just out of curiosity. 1980 Roper election. What percentage of the black vote did Carter get in 1980? It's always dangerous doing this stuff. Carter got 83% of the black vote in 1980. Ronald Reagan got 14. He's underwater. I, I promise you that's never happened before. Guarantee it. Sight unseen. 
It's never happened before. I've also never seen anything like this before. One year ago at this time in the Real Clear Politics polling average of his approval rating, Biden's approval was a net favorable plus 14. That's where he was on June 9th of 2021. Meaning he was at 54% approval, 40% disapproval, plus 14. Today, on June 9th, 2022, he is at minus 15. 53% disapproval, 38% approve. And for those of you that are new to this, the Real Clear Politics polling average is basically uh, the, the, the combination of all of the most well-known mainstream polls. That's what it is. One year ago today, he was plus 14 on June 9th, 2021. On June 9th, 2022, he is minus 15. I can't go back and look at what the real clear politics polling average was in 1974. Where Richard Nixon had won one of the greatest landslides of all time in 72. And by the time we get to August of 74, he's resigning from a scandal. So I don't, I don't know what that looked like. You know, we didn't have this kind of technology methodology back in those days. I can promise you, though, nothing like that has ever occurred in the history of modern polling. Ever. It's never happened. Ever. These are, well, unprecedented times. Bing. Indeed. I don't even know what to say. I don't know how to analyze it. And you have to keep in mind. This morning, I think I think I saw Clay Travis post on Twitter. It was the 16th or 26th paragraph. The reference to the uh, Democrat activist who was going to try to assassinate Brett yeah. Kavanaugh yesterday. So it was buried somewhere at the bottom of the front page of the New York Times. This is with... The media completely in the tank. I, I, I don't even know what to say to this. It, there's, there's, there's never been anything like this. Ever. I also don't think we should crow about it too much, though. Because I think you should consider that whoever is really running this show... They know these numbers too. And just, and I've used this analogy before, if you were a landlord and you had bad tenants and you give them the eviction notice and they know it's coming, differences are irreconcilable. Sometimes they do what to the place on the way out? Trash it. Trash it. You start to ask yourself, Whoever the spirit of the ages emissaries are in the room there at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, you start looking at these numbers. If it looks like this, you know, in August, Labor Day, I guess we'll just go to war with Russia then, I guess. We'll just take all the restraints off and let's have $10 a gallon gasoline. You know, totally agree, New Deal, New Deal, New Deal this thing. I mean, we're judgment proof. Let's just trash the place. We don't, we don't have to 
We don't have to even pay lip service to any attempt to put a smile on this. Hell, we'll just we'll just arrest Michigan gubernatorial candidates right out in the yep. open. That happened today. Uh, literally a month after it was revealed by a jury that the previous story that they claimed the current Democrat governor was kidnapped was it in a complete concocted hoax by the FBI. I mean, what will they do if they realize? Eh, we had no shot anyway. So what's on the, what's on the wish list on the way out? Start looking at uh, look at a place like a Democrat governor in Kansas, for example. She knows she's toast. Which, what will she try to do to your state on the way out, knowing that this is coming? Absolutely true. But is the yin to that yang, and this is a term that we've used before, and we've said there really is no such thing. Well, we, I think we've been correct in terms of the past understanding of what this was. But do those who see that and recognize it on all the fronts you mentioned on vaccines? There's an interesting tweet today from Del Bigtree about the more a person who, responding to him said, you know, I used to think anti-vaxxers were crazy. And now I'm one of them. I, I totally see it. Is what you're describing, the people reacting, is that the new silent majority? These people? Is that what's really? Yeah. It, it's not That's a moral. That's a great point. That is a great point. The old, the old notion of a silent majority is that we were the majoritarian impulse in the culture. We got ignored and we would show up on election day and the, we'd be the mouse that roared. Okay. Yeah. And it was people that thought like us. That's not true. That doesn't exist anymore. The new silent majority could very well be people that bought the narrative and tried it. I mean, we're going to talk to one of these guys here in about 10 minutes, Pierre Corey, self-described man of the left. And then he saw a lot of the people that he voted for just flat out just kill people on behalf of fascism and corporate greed and compliance you know the kinds of things that as as a former member of the left he joined up thinking hey we're going to stop this looming fascism and corporate greed and then realized it was it was the people he was voting for holding the smoking gun man did you see his tweet today about calling the press bought and paid for yes i look at dude you (laughs) go read dr robert malone substack lifelong lefty what dude dude Post up on his Substack. I'm not. I'm not comfortable sharing because I'm like I'm going to get everybody demonetized, everybody banned here. Not just our show, but everybody at the Blaze. Like stuff Daniel won't write is what Malone is saying now. That goes to what you're talking yes. about. If there's a lot of that, that's a new silent majority. That could be a new silent majority. Here's the other part of this that I really don't want to say, and I hope I'm wrong. So please tell me, Steve and Todd, uh, if I am. There is a point, though. We already know that the ruling class of the GOP already detests people like us. There is a point, though, I believe, where Democrats' polling is so apocalyptically bad, where Republicans just kind of realize, hey, we really don't have to be that much different than them because sentiment is already different than them. They already They already detest us. You're correct. But when there's absolutely no, absolutely no carrot and stick to drag them to the right on anything— Hey, hey, uh, we can just go along with anything that uh, anything that uh, they want as well and not really feel any consequences for it. You're not wrong at all. But actually, this goes back to what Todd was just talking about. If their if their potential constituency is changing, they may like to and want to do those things. But if their potential can see these people, that there's a lot of people that are going to vote Republican in November that either have never done it before or, or really would prefer not to do it. 
you start adding those kinds of people into your coalition now, Aaron. And, you know, they didn't grow up, you know, uh, they're not uh, seasoned Fox Newsers. You know, they're not sitting there all day long getting the Nanu Nanu. We are from France, uh, you know, Fox News download. And so the kinds of people we were just talking about, the Dell Big Trees, Robert Malone's, Pierre Corey's, those those kinds of people, they're not here to tow some kind of party line or anything of that nature. They would change just as they have changed the conversation in general politically with the kinds of numbers we're quantifying here. They would change it on a parochial level within the dynamic that you're describing. Sure. You see what I'm saying? Because sure. they're like, I don't know what the hell, I don't know what you guys masturbated to on the O'Reilly factor in the 90s, but we don't care. Uh, this poop has to end. And that's what we're here for. And so if you guys aren't going to end it, then we'll just form a movement to end it ourselves. Yeah. This is why you look back at the 19th century and you look at Republicans and Democrats and they believe things that look like the exact opposite of what the parties identify with now. Correct. This is how it happens. This is exa- that's a, that is an excellent point. That is an excellent point. You're exactly right about that. And, and you, you might be seeing, we, we did see some form of political realignment under Trump. No question. Um, we saw the suburbs and you know, what's funny about all these polls, regardless of their bias and methodology, there is one constant in all of them. Karen from the cul-de-sac is still Biden's most loyal base. Okay. She's a delight, but, um, you know, Trump kind of traded some suburbanites for rural voters. Mm -hmm. What we're talking about here that this presidency may end up ushering in is a real political realignment. Dr. Pierre Corey will join us next. You know, when you're running a business, especially a small business, human resource issues can be a killer. Everything from wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations can be a problem. And let's face it, human resource manager salaries, they would not be cheap. In fact, they average about $70,000 a year. That's a big nut to crack for a small business. So that's why I want to check out our friends over at Bambi. And it's just like it's, spe- it's spelled just like it sounds. Bam and B, B-A-M-B-E-E. It was created specifically for small businesses like yours. You can get a dedicated HR manager that will help you craft HR policy, maintain your compliance, and it's all for just $99 a month. Customizable, just $99 a month. You can cancel at any time. You're not locked into any kind of a long-term deal. Absolutely perfect for you as a small business. Check it out today and get a free HR audit from Bambi today. When you go to Bambi.com slash Steve, again, that's B-A-M-B-E-E for Bambi.com slash Steve. The name of the forthcoming book I wanted to mention that we're going to be talking about, uh, or talking to its author about, The War on Ivermectin. The medicine that saved millions and could have ended the COVID pandemic. Dr. Pierre Corey is the author. He joins us now here on the Steve Day Show on Blaze TV. And uh, Dr. Corey, it's an honor to have you back, brother. How are you? Yeah, thanks. It's good to be back. Nice to talk to you. We got to probably reconnect with his phone, Aaron. You got a kind of crummy phone connection there? Yep. All right. So we'll reconnect with him here and get back to him here in just a moment. But... um. There was a lawsuit, by the way, we didn't have time to talk about it. Uh, There was a key lawsuit filed in 
Washington yesterday, a federal lawsuit, uh, essentially suing the government for the denial of ivermectin as a legit treatment for COVID-19. And just to kind of reset the, and, and here's hoping that this lawsuit will bring a lot of the data uh, and a lot of the truth of what went on here to bear. I'm all for winning on technicalities and getting exceptions, doing whatever you can do to exempt yourself from this kind of medical fascism, medical tyranny. But at some point, we actually need, though, to go after the premise of all of it. And that's what I like about the potential of this lawsuit, provided they can get standing in a court, is it may bring out a lot of the truth of the data that we'll talk now with Dr. Pierre Corey about. Do we have him yet? We've got him connected. I'm we'll here. All there right, Dr. Corey, there you are. Good to have you on our show, brother. So, in fact, let's start with that lawsuit in Washington that was filed yesterday. And I'm, I'm sure one of the great frustrations that you've had over these last 26 months is an honest hearing of the data, as opposed to things that are presented as slanted in the media, uh, presented as slanted in medical journal journals. You know, discovery in a court of law, if we still have those, Pierre, is a two-way street. Yep. Is there an opportunity here to get to some get some real data out there that maybe the public has not been shown? I think it's an opportunity. I mean, I, I've said for a long time, it's time for the lawyers. It's time for the judges. I mean, it's time for the courts. I mean, we've done everything we could to get good, pragmatic, sound, data-driven, evidence-based uh, advice out there. And we get attacked for it. And and like you mentioned, I mean, we get attacked with narratives and and clearly control of, of these agencies that are essentially working with pharmaceutical companies, right? They do not want a generic repurposed drug. And the actions they've taken to try to suppress the evidence of efficacy has been vast. And, and it's been rapacious for, for over a year now. And so I hope this, this can serve to open up what's really going on, which is they're suppressing the data. They're, they're selectively presenting and, and misrepresenting the actual data. Let's, so it's let- an information. Pardon me. Let's get into the data then, Dr. Corey. Let's let's start with what you have seen on a on a personal level as a physician that has treated people for COVID-19 since the early days of the pandemic. Share some of the data that you have seen firsthand with our audience, please. So first off, you know, I, I wrote the definitive review paper over a year ago. And after we discovered and saw some trials popping up around the world, I started using it in my practice. And we, I mean, my first patient, my first patient had been sick for two weeks. Uh, she was actually an executive of a, of a healthcare staffing agency. She's a CEO and she'd been sick for two weeks. She still had fever. She had a resting heart rate of 120. Uh, just in bed, she felt terribly ill. She was home. She took ivermectin on a Sunday night. And Monday morning, she had no fever. Her heart rate was 80. And she felt like the cloud had lifted. This is my first patient. And that experience continued for many, many months and is shared by many doctors around the world that our patients time and time again will report some mitigation, some lessening of some important symptom. Um, Now, it's not every single patient, but it's the vast majority. And, you know, obviously, as the variants got, you know, higher viral loads and, and you know, like the late Delta phase, you know, I was using 
of combinations of medicines. But in the beginning, ivermectin alone was absolutely uh, a very robust medicine. And that's just on my personal experience, right? And that's, you know, which, which the system, uh, you know, medical system as it exists, they consider that the lowest form of experience. It's only, the, it's only what's driven all advancements in medicines for, you know, hundreds of years <laughs> is, is the experience and observations of a physician. But in modern medicine, that's discounted as anecdotal. Um, but it's real. It's there. Anyone who puts it into their practice can see that it works. In fact, I've never heard of a doctor who's used it in their practice who says it doesn't work. The only people who say it doesn't work are those who don't use it. During the initial wave of the pandemic, how many patients would you estimate you treated with ivermectin? Well, here's the thing, though. I didn't use ivermectin until my first patient I used it on was October of 2020. Okay. following therapeutics as an organization, we were building protocols. They're mostly directed at the hospital. And there was no good clinical data until kind of the summer of 2020 that you started hearing that ivermectin was working. But the first trials to come out were like October of 2020, when we started to see like trials popping up from different areas of the world that were all really positive. And and so I started uh, using it October of 2020. And at this point, many hundreds, three, four hundred for me. Um, and uh, I've had two hospitalizations and one death. Wow. Um, and the the death was an 87-year-old with a number of comorbidities. Um, and, and the only other person who went to the hospital was someone who reached out to me on like day 11 of symptoms. Um, but, you know, early on, I mean, it just, nobody goes to the hospital if you treat early. One of the things that I, I, I don't think has been pointed out enough about doctors such as yourself or McCullough, Urso, et cetera, that have kind of been yep. this... Um, resistance for lack or rebel alliance for lack of a better description yep. um, is that you, you guys, unlike a lot of other places, you're not picking and, and choosing or cherry picking the most promising of patients here. I mean, you guys, you're sure. getting, you're getting emails and phone calls from people like me who are referring everybody in our audiences to you guys all of the time. And so yep. that's why I, that's why I think your anecdotal data carries a little bit more weight, Dr. Corey, because Oh, you yeah. got you guys were often getting patients who were on their last legs or out of hope because they could get nowhere with their with their traditional medical practice physician or or primary care physician and they're coming to you out of desperation and yet this data was still that promising. Yep. I mean, yeah, you're exactly right. We would take all comers at any time, all ages, uh, shapes, sizes. I mean, we we treat anyone who's ill that reaches out to us and and we all know that it works. You know, McCullough knew hydroxychloroquine work. You know, I never really used it because I wasn't doing a lot of outpatient medicine in the early wave. I was buried in ICUs. Um, but, you know, when I started using hydroxychloroquine, especially around Omicron, I mean, I was seeing it was, it was equally effective as ivermectin. And in some cases, I felt it even was stronger. And so, you know, but the war on hydroxychloroquine was fought in 2020. I mean, they, they tried mm-hmm. to destroy that medicine every which way from Sunday. I happen to be an expert at the tactics against ivermectin because I came, I became one of the world experts. And so the amount that I knew and what I knew to be true about ivermectin and what I saw being propagated throughout from the, the tops of the agencies to blaring from every major media, it was essentially a PR campaign against ivermectin. And, and I had to watch lives, you know, huge portions of the country and world being swayed from using ivermectin. Doctors being told not to use it. Doctors becoming convinced that it was a horse dewormer and it was a nonsense medicine. I mean, it was all propaganda, Steve. 
You recently did a three-part series on your Substack, taking apart a much ballyhooed, quote-unquote, study on ivermectin. Can you give us kind of a summation of that, Pierre? Yeah, so so let's, I, I definitely will, but here's the deal. I have to put it into context. That trial is what I would call a textbook example of how the pharmaceutical industry manipulates science. They know how to design and conduct studies to fail. So if they want to show the efficacy of a drug, they know how to design that. They do that with all of their products. They, and they also manipulate data. And this is well described over decades. There's books written about pharmaceutical manipulations of studies that they themselves sponsor. The TOGETHER trial, which was done in Brazil, which is the world's, you know, to date, the largest randomized control trial, um, I wrote it in my Substack. I mean, there's literally 47 different actions they took to try to show that ivermectin doesn't work. From one of the most basic and most egregious is they allowed the control group easy access to ivermectin. Steve, it's really hard to show a medicine is better than itself. It's like when you have a group that gets ivermectin and the control group also gets ivermectin and you don't show any benefit to ivermectin because <laughs> they were all on ivermectin. Mm -hmm. and, and so, I mean, that was just the most brazen of tactics that they did. But they did other slightly less subtle, not that subtle, slightly less subtle, like they did not, they did not produce tablets that looked the same. The, the tablets that they use for ivermectin was the most common brand in Brazil, which is found over the counter. The entire country was using it. The government was even saying to use it, and that's where they conducted the trial with absolutely open access to ivermectin with a very recognizable pill. And the placebo tablets did not look the same. I mean, it's, it's absurd what they did. And that's the only two big ones. Other things are they limited the dose, they limited the duration, and... We believe, and we, we actually, I, I, I know this, uh, I, well, let's say this, I strongly believe, we believe that they actually showed a massive benefit to ivermectin and they had to manipulate the data to bury it. Now, we can't prove that because they won't share the data, but I will tell you that data is hidden. They have public statements saying that the data would be available to all upon request at the end of the trial, and all of the investigators have gone dark. They're not answering questions. They're not in the press, and the data is nowhere. They said they would put the data with an organization called ICODA. ICODA doesn't have the data. They are hiding. They know this was a fraudulent trial. But guess what? Without help of the media or of the journal, so the New England Journal of Medicine, which is where they published it by design. Remember, they, they get free reign to get their studies into the biggest medical journals of the world. That's what drives headlines, New York Times, Washington Post, LA Times, screaming headlines that ivermectin doesn't work, almost with glee, based on this fraudulent trial. And, and like I said, this is not unique to ivermectin. They did it with hydroxychloroquine. They've done it with numbers of things over the years, from vitamin C trials, vitamin D trials. Anything that threatens their bottom line as a generic repurposed drug, it's been a decades-long war. And I just am trying to call out what they did to ivermectin. It's absolutely egregious. Well, it's all egregious, but this takes the case. I mean, this is a, a mass. This, this is a mass impact on humanity. Final question I've got about a minute then, Dr. Corey. Along those lines, has there ever been this level of effort to discredit a Nobel Prize winning medication in the history of modern medicine? 
No, I, I think the, the impacts of this, they've, they've done lots of things to destroy medicines before, but the consequences of what they did in a global pandemic against one of the most safest, like you pointed, safest, most widely available, most inexpensive medicine, because that literally, it has the qualities to be a global cure to the pandemic. They had to destroy it because the entire markets for everything would dry up. Paxlovid, Molnupiravir, vaccines, and on and on. The hospitals would, would empty. And, and so this was, this is, I would say it's the most threatening single medicine to the bottom line of the pharmaceutical industry in the history of medicine. Wow. The single most. And that's why I'm writing a book. And the name of that book is The War on Ivermectin, the medicine that saved millions and could have ended the COVID pandemic. Dr. Pierre Corey, been one of the heroes of the last 26 months, brother. Thank you for joining us again. Good to talk to you. All right. Take care. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Bye. You bet. This portion of the show brought to you by our friends over at My Patriot Supply. If you weren't thinking of becoming a Doom Prepper before, you might be after that conversation. Yep. All right. Uh, so make sure you are prepared if the same people that ruin medicine decide to go ahead and ruin the food supply chain at the exact same time. Get 90 days, three months worth of food. That includes three square meals a day, snacks and drinks, a full 2,000 plus calories for you and everybody in your household. They'll get delivered for free and you'll get $150 off when you go to preparewithdace.com to get it. That's preparewithdace.com. It'll last for up to 25 years with the right storage. Again, three square meals a day, snacks, drinks, the whole bit. 90 days of peace of mind for $150 off and free delivery when you go to preparewithdace.com. Thoughts on the conversation we just had with Pierre Corey? This may, this may, um, I, I, I don't know, maybe uh, ring up something from the memory, but... I believe there are a couple of war games, kind of game theorying and planning out what a, I don't know, a theoretical uh, outbreak of a novel coronavirus might look like. I think one of them was in, I think, the fall, October, November of uh, 2019. I seem to remember, at least with one of these war games, one of the things that was talked about was a cheap, widely available drug that would actually help treat the virus. Correct. You're right about this. Yeah. All of the time, all of the time, you hear about, you hear Bill Gates and all of these globalists and all of these people who, the, the schemers, the ones who make the plans for your life, whenever it talks about uh, health and whenever it talks about viruses and outbreaks, it's always one solution. It's always one solution. The vaccine. What's the benign, innocent explanation for that? I hate that question. I'm asking it myself more and more often. What's the benign, innocent explanation for that? There isn't one. There isn't one. The best case scenario is, is it's just greed. Yes. The worst case scenario is there's a lot of worst case scenarios. Nikolai. Yeah. Nikolai is the worst case scenario. Yeah. Todd? Science has become journalism. It's all narrative now. And Steve said, even under the best of uh, circumstances in the past, he's told you there, there's no way to pull that completely out of journalism. But the whole point of the scientific revolution was to do exactly that. Yeah. And now it's totally flipped. It's all narrative in science. We'll come back with hour two and get to Theology Thursday here next on the show. Stay tuned. We are back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre, Todd Erzin, and all of you. 
You can let us know what you think about what we think by emailing the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can like us on Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, Gab. Follow me at Steve Day Show on Getter, Twitter, uh, now on TikTok and Instagram as well. And then look for me over on Truth Social at Real Steve Dace is where you can find me there. And you can find clips of the show that you can watch free of any censorship and free of charge. When you go to rumble.com slash Steve Dace show as well. Once more, the last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Those of you that are podcast listeners, thank you so much for being one of those. Uh, you're a big part of our show's success. Our podcast is kind of surging right now. So thank you very much for that. If you have yet to do this, please leave us a five-star review. And if you do that, if you include an ask me anything question in your review, you will go to the front of the line of our next ask me anything. All right. So when you leave us a five-star review, if you've got an ask me anything question, leave it in that review. We'll make sure that you go to the front of the line. Thanks to all of you. The thousands of you that have left us five-star reviews already, and we appreciate it as well when you hit that subscribe and follow button. This part of the show brought to you by Tyga Coolers. It is the unofficial start of summer now that we are uh, past Memorial Day, and uh, summer will officially start here in just a couple of weeks. So whether you're looking for a good, high-quality, sturdy cooler or you want something customized, maybe a shot of your kid in his Little League uniform or his travel team uniform, and that's a lot of you guys as a family, that's a lot of your summers, or football season this fall and your kid's a part of that, uh, or it's your favorite football team, player, etc. they can customize just about anything for you as long as they violate a copyright infringement all right uh with our friends at taiga coolers right now use the promo code steve get 10 percent off at checkout that's your discount when you do american made limited lifetime warranty customizable uh great gifts including for corporate gifts as well uh when you go to taiga t-a-i-g-a taigacoolers.com they might even make you your own customized lindsey graham troll lid they might even make one of those for you like they did for me. When you go to tigacoolers.com, use the offer code Steve to get 10% off. So let's get to some Theology Thursday. And this year we're doing a three-book series on the spirit of the age. We already concluded what the spirit of the age did to us via COVID-19 and, and found out from the Trump White House all of the things not to do in response when you face an onslaught attack from the spirit of the age. Now with my new book or most recent one, it's not new. It came out last year. You can get your copy now though. If you want to follow along with us, it's called do what you believe or you won't be free to believe it much longer. We now formulate a battle plan to go on offense against the spirit of the age. But before we do that though, we've got to do a little bit of a self-assessment and that's kind of what chapter one is about. Hence the title stinking thinking and Todd, since you're the one that came up with the study questions, We'll hand it off to you. I love this chapter. Just for this chapter alone, it is worth buying this book. We talked about it on the show before. But the thing is, you you read the introduction, uh, and you might be thinking, I've done these small groups before. I've done this, this faith questioning exercise before. Yeah, you're talking a tough game in the introduction, but I know the road we're going down. You read chapter, oh my God, he's really going to do it. This is going to be painful. He's squeezing me in the sensitive areas. This is going to hurt. I love it. It's fantastic. To, this is about why the church gets Romans 13, 1 through 7, so wrong. So, very quickly, before we get to the discussion questions, contextually, we at least have to lay that out. Let every person 
be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Now Steve lays out in five to six bullet points throughout the book, sums up what the issues are here, and then expands on them. I will allow him to fill in the blanks using that however he wants to, but I'll just start with the questions. Number one, why do you think there's such confusion about Romans 13, 1 through 7? Are compliance and subservience genuine Christian virtues in other parts of the Bible and only misapplied to rogue government? Are people simply looking for an excuse to explain away their cowardice or apathy? Or do you disagree with Steve's fundamental point altogether? So I think there are... Two, I, I mean, I've, I've done whole sermons on this passage and and what it means and what it doesn't mean. But if for the sake of this conversation, to keep it somewhat brief, there's two points that I would highlight. Um, number one, a a passage means what the author meant, not what you and I think it means. It means what the person who wrote it meant. They're the author. So it means what they think. Rhetorical trap doors and things like that. Correct. So if this meant, especially that last line, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. If this meant unconditional universal subservience, then Paul contradicted his own words here by refusing Nero's command to not worship him as Lord, not worship the state as God, to not proclaim Kaiser curious, and he got decapitated by Nero for nothing. So right away, you look at, and and this language is parroted later in the New Testament, by the way, by Peter. He parrots this language. What happened with Peter? Did he die a natural death after a long life? He did not. No, they crucified him upside down. Why? For refusing to give honor to somebody that it, that honor was not owed. One of the first early great martyrs in martyrs in the church is Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna. They burned him alive at the stake at age 81. Why? Because Rome asked for an honor that it was not owed. He was happy paying his taxes, he was happy obeying the laws, but you're asking me for an honor that you're not owed. The state is not God. And that's why his last dying words were, how can I at the age of 81 deny my Lord who all these years? 
stood by me, did not deny me. So they were very moved by that touching tribute of faith and let the old man go. No, they burned him alive and watched. So it does not mean unconditional compliance. It does not mean unconditional submission. In fact, if you offer unconditional submission and compliance to anything of this world, you are an idolater and you have disobeyed the first two commandments. Obey and worship God only. Don't make anything else a God. And they're the first two because they're the two most important ones. The only thing that we have unconditional subservience to and compliance with is God. Because he deserves it. He bought us at, the, at a high price, the price of his own son. Nothing in this world should we grant. Nothing. Even a spouse. Ladies, your husband's decided Breaking Bad is going to be a biopic. We're going to be drug dealers or Ozark. We'll be a family of drug dealers. I, well, I, mean, I should submit to my husband. Is, is that what you should do? No, you should not. Because your husband is out of submission to the Lord. You submit to the Lord through your husband. If he's out of submission to the Lord, you don't submit to that. If your father says, hey, go find your younger sibling and beat the piss out of them, should you do it? I mean, dad told me to. I mean, I should. No, you should not. No. The only thing we have unconditional compliance and subservience to is God. No one is good but God. No one is holy but God. That's why he alone gets our unconditional subservience and compliance. Nothing in this world is worth that honor. And we are to say no and refuse and defy anything of this world that requires or demands it. So it does not mean unconditional submission to anything of this world. Even in the passage, submission is urged because when the state is performing its divinely inspired role, it is to administer justice. And therefore, if you defy the state in its administration of justice, you are now guilty of what? Injustice, which is a disobedience to God. But if the state is not administering justice as God defined it, do you obey God or the state? You obey God, not man. The second is a, misunder, a misappropriation of our way of life. We are the rulers of this realm. This is a government whose opening words of its governing document, the, the, the Constitution, are we the people. The people rule. The people are supreme. We are not a monarchy. We are not an oligarchy. I mean, we effectively are now, but that is not our founded and original intent and form of government. It is a representative republic. Representative of whom? Us! Who we then agree to consent, that's government by the consent of the governed, we consent to, uh, to elevating so-and-sos as our proxies, our elected representatives, to act on our interest and behalf. They are not our rulers, and they are not our leaders, and they sure as hell aren't our betters. We rule. 
Paul even applies this in the limited context that he possessed as a Roman citizen. As a Roman citizen, he actually had some forms of limited civil rights. When the Roman government attempted to trounce on them, Paul did not submit to the Roman government and say, well, I guess I don't have habeas corpus. No, he demanded that they acknowledge his rights as a sovereign citizen of a Roman Republic. And they did. They defended him against mobs. They gave him a trial in front of a judge, an opportunity to, de- to present evidence and defend himself, call witnesses. He did that by affirmatively, affirmatively, affirmatively acting upon his rights as a citizen. Now, here in modern America, we have a far greater menu, repertoire of civil liberties at our disposal. The Constitution was written to limit the jurisdiction of government, not the governed. That's why there's enumerated powers for branches of government, not for the people. And then just to drive the point home, after they ratified it, the first thing they did afterwards was then amend it with 10 amendments called the Bill of Rights, which further expanded and clarified the rights of the people and even their more provincial governments on the state level, which was the final of those amendments, the 10th. You are under no obligation at all in this form of government to submit whatsoever to anything from a governor or a president or a judge or a sheriff or a congressman just because they hold a title. They submit to you. They submit to you. That's why they take the oath of office, not you. You don't take the oath of office when you go to vote. Although, frankly, the way we've been voting lately, maybe that's not a bad idea. But once we grant them our power on our behalf, they're the ones that take an oath before God to remind them of their accountability because they're the lesser. That's why they're the lesser. They used to be called public what? Servants. Servants. Whom are they serving? You. So anybody in a pulpit who tells you you just have to blindly close your church because the state said so. We have to blindly impose jabs on our employees here in the church because the state said so. Is either of the enemy or so weak in the face of one, you shouldn't darken the door of that ministry ever again. Does that answer your question? This is so good. We're going to need to bleed this into three non-political questions for sure. Uh, part it, it, it does. Uh, what do you think of what I attempted to be the best case scenario? What do you think about this part in that question? I'll reread it. Are, are compliance and subservience genuine Christian virtues in other parts of the Bible and are only being innocently misapplied here to government? Is that to me is a best case scenario. People are just that's the best. Yeah, that's, around, that, would, that, that would be the best case. What would scenario. they be misapplying though? What part of the Bible in their mind do they think 
outside of the scripture. Boy, uh, the meek shall inherit the earth. Just be, you know, some, yes. is that what it is? Well, it, it, meek is not the same as weak. Correct. But okay. They, meek means power under control. Uh, blessed are the peacemakers, yes. not the peace lovers. Jesus himself coined that phrase. He also is the one who said, don't think I came to bring peace, but a sword. The truth divides. Non-confrontationalism is not a fruit of the spirit. Wheat from chaff. Yes. Sheep from goats. Yes. Excellent. So, th- so this happens. this happens comprehensively. Well, we know that Jesus wins in the end. Well, that's true. Yes. But that's not the entirety of the truth. That would be like saying, well, we know that we won World War II. Well, we did. That's true. But did you see how we did it? Yeah, there's still hell. We lined up 18-year-olds on boats on June 6, 1944, and just lined them up to be cannon fodder, just line after line after line of them to invade France. And that was just one singular battle, by the way. Just one. So yes, it's true. Jesus wins at the at the end. How does he win? With a robe dipped in blood, a sword in his mouth, emblazoned with the words "King of Kings" and "Lord of Lords," he returns to wage war. He's not coming back, a baby in a manger again. That's a mic trap. Yes, and it's unfortunate that. We leave out a lot of these details. This idea that if we just have another program of community outreach, if we do more of it, if we're nicer, it's what I just tweeted at Brett Kavanaugh. Hell, they effectively tried to end this guy's life in 2018. They actually tried to end it yesterday. To, to paraphrase the great prophet Ice Cube, a message to the Oreo cookie. No matter how hard you try to switch... Here's what they think about you, brah. You gain no favor. You spent the first two years on the court voting with the liberal wing a majority of the time, like over 60%. And in exchange, they disrupted your neighborhood and then yesterday tried to assassinate you. Take a hint. This doesn't work. Your definition of love is not love. God is love, but love is not God. We know what love is from the character of God. And it is sacrificial, it is charitable, it is protective, it is defensive, it is also confrontational, divisive. If you can think of a way to tell someone, you, you, not some generic entity, you looking and listening to me right now. You smack ass with your hat backwards and your skinny jeans halfway down your ass crack. You! You right now, you're going to hell and you want it and you deserve it. And you will go there and you will be tormented for all of eternity. You'll get exactly what you deserve unless you believe in this one atoning sacrifice for the sins you haven't even thought of committing yet, but you soon will. If you know of a nice non-confrontational way to present that, someone please tell Polycarp. Inform Paul, Peter, maybe, maybe, maybe grab John before they drop him in that vat of acid. Maybe grab Philip before they, they draw and quarter him. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe stop Mother Teresa from spending 60 years in the slums of India. 
Have you thought about just blogging? I'm afraid I, I need to step in. I'm afraid this answer, Steve, has really harmed your witness. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. That's perfect. Uh, all right, Steve, time to take theory out of practice or push theory into practice. Steve, name an issue or issues. We'll stick to one less likely for the sake of time where present day Caesars have usurped that which belongs to God. How have you or how would you have intervened? How did the government respond? And how did your uh, response and how did you respond or would you respond to the government's response? I would refuse to obey anything that violated God's law. And if I were in government, I would not enforce anything that violated God's law. Specific example that's going I would on not, these days. We, we would close down. I, I, put the, I'd put, I would have put the National Guard and closed down every abortuary day one. We wouldn't issue marriage licenses to homosexuals. We would refuse mask mandates or anything along those lines that dehumanize, are non-scientific, and are meant to be nothing other than creating idols, talismans for a spirit of the age. We'd throw out all of the spirit of the age indoctrination out of all the schools. If you're a teacher in a public school and you teach that, you're in sin, I believe. You're in error. You should not teach that stuff. You should refuse. Well, I'll lose my job. Paul lost his head. John lost layers of skin in a vat of acid. Jesus lost his life. For you. And not so you could say, well, I'm a year away from tenure. That's easy for you to say, Steve. You're right. You guys have been here. I've never done anything that's risked my job. The last 26 months at all, anybody? While a bunch of my peers that have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of more followers than I do, were interviewing Anthony Fauci and turning Scott Gottlieb into a regular. We sit here in our remote little outpost, literally risking yep. our entire livelihoods, pushing back on this lie from day one. I had the cops following me around at school two days ago. My daughter's been threatened with rape. So basically saying, since I asked for one and you gave me many, if you're reading this question at church and you're, you just don't see the opportunities right in front of you, uh, that's total BS. Yes. But this is, this all comes down to, this all comes down to, we don't want to confront. There it is. That's really, it, it yes. all comes down to that. Yes. We don't want to be shunned. We don't want to be punished. We don't want to confront. We don't want to pay the price for what we believe. That's why the name of the book is Do What You Believe, or you won't be free to believe it much longer. A great example of that. If you've watched the Matt Walsh documentary, interviews a father in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. You remember this? This father has been labeled and has been prosecuted as a criminal. The Canadian government has said he committed violence against his daughter for using female pronouns the government decided when the 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 father tried to intervene in the so-called gender transition of his daughter the government decided no she can do whatever she wants she was just i believe a teenager 
maybe 12 years old, 12 years old, something like that. You don't think that that's coming to Washington State, Oregon, Illinois, some places like that in our lifetimes. California's already like, California. why, weren't we, why, why weren't we doing this last week? Yeah. You don't think that that's coming to your hometown in your lifetimes. I've got a lab in Wuhan to sell you. All right. If you don't confront now, you will be forced to or. Or you'll just lose everything. Because that is going to go down in our lifetimes. Are we going to be able to bleed this over? Yeah, one more. I got three more. Yeah, three more. And it's good stuff, man. All right. Pick your best one. Well, right now, I'd have to read them on. Just be wasting time. Well, I'll just go with the, the, the next one. There's, okay. no, there's no bad ones. They're all best. I know. <laughs> if people no longer believe the primary purpose of government is to punish evil... What do they believe its primary purpose now is? How did that transition come to pass and who is responsible? To be a sugar daddy, to be a husband, um, uh, to tell me what right from wrong is. This is why Karen is Joe Biden's, Karen from the cul-de-sac is Joe Biden's base right now. All right. I, I, I want government to take the place of the husband that either married because he's emasculated or emasculated nice. him after he's married. Um, I see. I, I want start. I, the, the, I want the government to take the place of the cops. I voted to defund. I want government to take the place of the church that I completely probably divided on my way out, if not desecrated by joining a heretical one. That's what we're talking about here. The state is God. Simply put, when the state no longer punishes evil, necessarily the state then must punish good. Yes. We'll do, it will do one or the other. Yep. Exactly right. Can we speed round this? Yep. Get them in. Okay. How are the we the people of today most different from the we the people of our nation's founding? And is that a difference that fundamentally impacts the ability of the nation to continue thriving or even existing? So they weren't any less sinful than we were. All right. You had... You, Two colonies refused to sign on, Georgia and South Carolina, refused to sign on to the Declaration of Independence without slavery. At least a third of the people that signed that document either were sympathetic to slavery or owned slaves. So we weren't any less sinful, including the guy who wrote the words, all men are created equal himself did. They weren't any less sinful than us, but they had one major advantage. They lived in a pre-Darwinian culture. So the idea that human nature was basically good and we're all just going to sit here and pontificate how we use the goodness of our base natures to create utopia on earth, they didn't, that wasn't even in their nomenclature. They would not even have pondered that question. And if you right? did bring it to them, they'd laugh in your they face. They would have laughed in your face, yes. They, they didn't believe in the supremacy of man. They believed what William Penn said. If men were angels, they wouldn't need government. So the question is, what kind of government do we need to keep the peace? Okay, because... If we don't trust human nature, we don't want a really big government because then that's more people and we wouldn't trust them. We'll just get a different kind of tyranny. So their conversations were all centered, even amongst the deists or the Christians or the people that had some generic theistic worldview. Their big debate was how sovereign was God? How directly involved was God in the affairs of men? That was the debate of their era amongst their intellectual elite. The debate of our era among our intellectual elite is... How much are we really God and how soon, how much sooner can we get there? And that's the biggest disadvantage that we have. All right. And we'll end on the last one. What example from history, Steve, or even from fiction, and that might be a better answer. Can you regularly consult for inspiration when it comes to saying no? Uh, the New Testament. 
Well, take it out of biblical. That's just because it's a okay. a Jesus juke, a good um, one. But okay. Um, well, uh, the Declaration of Independence. I mean, you, we're throwing around the word insurrection these days. Here in about uh, what is it, uh, twenty-five days, we're going to be celebrating the most successful insurrection in all of human history. The founding of your country was an insurrection. The Declaration of Independence is a declaration of secession. We are no longer considering ourselves to be subjects of the crown. We are now American citizens. These colonies shall be independent and free states, not part of the British Empire any longer. Your own founding is that example. Bunker Hill, Lexington, Concord. It's amazing you have to even say this. Your own, the, all of American history, all the, the greatest moments of American history are this. The Underground Railroad is an, is an example. All of the greatest moments of American history that matter the most, except for maybe landing on the moon, all fit this, this definition. July 4th isn't just a barbecue, Steve? It's not just a barbecue, no. And the reason why your country was founded in that level of compliance is because, or non-compliance, is because they understood resistance to tyrants is obedient to, obedience to God. We have no king but Jesus. All the economic markers continue to decline if we are not yet in a full-blown recession, which I think requires officially a couple of consecutive quarters of negative growth, right? Um, All the markers, for one, are clearly there. And that is why every time uh, you see economies go south, you see interest in precious metals go up because they have stood the test of time as hedges against government tyranny, overspending, inflation, reductions in personal wealth, etc. But where to go to get that hedge of protection around your finances? Well, look at our friends over at Bullion Max right now. They are veterans in the precious metals space. They've been at this for a long time and they're going to offer you some of the lowest prices around. For example, right now, you can get started with their silver starter kit and get it as low as employee pricing. They couldn't possibly offer a lower price than that. All right. Uh, t- check it out right now. It includes that silver American Eagle and more. One of the most desirable silver products uh, to invest in right now in the country. And you can get it at employee pricing when you go to bullionmax.com slash Steve. That's bullionmax.com slash Steve. Keep in mind, this deal, though, is so good, they limit it to just one per household at bullionmax.com slash Steve. I've got to read this quick note that I received because I thought this line was so funny. Your show today is so spot on and, and one I've needed for so long. It gets me as excited as Lindsey Graham at the South Carolina hot dog eating contest. Wow. Oh. I, I, he gets yep. us on multiple yeah. levels. <laughs> you had me at hello. Yes. Let's get to three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. 
some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Yes, three non-political questions that hopefully don't suck. No guarantees. Because we need a little escape from the uh, depravity and demise of Western civilization. Question number one. If you were stranded on a desert island, who would you most want to be your companion? R2-D2. Oh, by the way, you have to give at least two specific reasons why you're, why you're choosing this person. And, and it's out of what you, the options you give the us. The three options that I give you. Okay. R2-D2, Neville Longbottom, or Genghis Khan? Hmm. So I'm stranded on an island, and which of those three would I rely upon? Which two would I rely upon? Which which one of those would you rely upon? Oh, but upon? I have to have you two have reasons. To, you have to have two reasons. Okay. Um, I'm going to say I would rely upon R2-D2 because there's, some, there's enough self-contained tech there including um, jet propulsion that he might be able to help me get a hold of communicate with find utilitarian rescue. reasons yes yeah. I would not go with Genghis Khan because I think um, uh, he would look at me and say I don't care how many uh, palm trees there are here there's only room for one of us on this island and you got to go right so wouldn't want to be stranded with him like probably anywhere I, I did consider Neville Longbottom because he's really the hero of the Harry Potter story. Yeah. He really is. Okay. Um, but I tried to think, what could he do for me that I could not do for myself? And Magic. I couldn't... Uh, I, well, okay. That's a good point. <laughs> All right. And and I hadn't thought about that. Um, and so that's why I went with R2-D2. But if that's your answer, I could go with Neville too. But I'll stick with my original R2-D2. Yeah, I was going to go with Neville because A, the magic, which ultimately I think has a chance. I mean, R2-D2 can do a lot, but it's it's confined. I mean, the magic seems far more unlimited. And secondly, his his selflessness. That That dude would not fall into despair which is one of the reasons why he's the hero he's i mean he's giving the rousing speech uh, both in the first and the last movie in different ways he's found a lot of his courage but that, i mean the uh, the reason uh hufflepuff wins in the first one is because he showed that rare courage that dumbledore cites him for so gryffindor, yeah. gryffindor yeah, excuse yeah. me thank you uh, wow, this is crazy. All three of us have different answers. This is a so, good question, actually. <laughs> uh, well, just wait till next week's variation of this question. This is a new form. You're going with thing. Genghis Khan? I'm going with Genghis Khan. Here's oh, wow. why. Okay. I'm not really sure. I mean, there are limits to magic, okay? I'm not really sure on a desert island, even with the magic that Neville Longbottom brings to the table, I'm not really sure what he gives us. I'm not sure if he's an avid fisher. not sure if he can cook very well. So what good is magic if you're not even good at that like sector of magic? I'm not sure about that. With R2-D2, you bring up a good point about the communications, but he would be last on my list because once he's, once he's uh, you know, exhausted his batteries and we still don't have any contact with the outside world, he's just a very, very heavy, expensive paperweight. Genghis Khan, uh, of antiquity, 
you have to think he knows how to survive. Okay, the dude knows how to survive. So that's yeah. one by that's cutting one, by cutting you off. See, that's the other. Uh, see, I, that's why as well. There's at least I might be terrified every waking moment of the day. But there's a chance that he might just need me as much as I need him as well. So he might he well, might need me to go yeah. gather things for him. Secondly, as well, I just went to Who Hot on Saturday, and it freaking delivered, man. There is a chance that he knows well, the how to, Mongolian make, grill some there. Make, uh, to yeah. make some good Mongolian food right there. Plus, I should also add my grandmother, God rest her soul, Myrna, who spoiled me absolutely rotten, loved R2-D2. So that's another reason why I'd pick him. So, that's a good one. Yeah. Question number two. This is not a Mount Rushmore. This is a top four ranking. Who are the top four baseball players of your lifetime? And I want you to rank them. Now, this is significantly harder for you and Todd because you're both significantly older, older. than I. Yeah. So I'm going to start Derek G-Rod, uh, Derek Jeter, I should say, okay. A-Rod. So four, three, uh, Miguel Cabrera. So that's two. And then one is Albert Pujols. That's not a bad list. I'm I'm going to disqualify anybody I suspect of PEDs. Um. So you say best. You don't want us to do favorite. You can do favorite if you okay. want. Okay. This is your own ranking. Okay. So I Just left so on know. the. I left several on the. So I would. Block. So then I would go with Ken Griffey Jr. You look at the numbers he put up despite no PEDs and all of those injuries. My goodness, if he was, if he ever did actually go the the bonds route. I mean, he we're talking like 800 home runs, you know what I'm saying? Stuff that no one would have ever approached. So I'm going to go Ken Griffey Jr. I'm going to go uh Nolan Ryan. Um Oh man. This is hard because of how much older we are. The amount of names I can go with. All right. I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Mariano Rivera. And here's here and, and I'm going to go with Randy Johnson. So, so I'm, I, uh, there should be more position players there. The reason I'm going to go, though, the problem is I'm having a hard time delineating those guys. Okay, yeah, I know. Where if I go with Mariano, I know there was a period of time he was simply the most dominant, may and maybe of all time, the most dominant at what he did in all of baseball. If I go with Randy Johnson, I'm going with. The left-handed Nolan Ryan. Those those are the two bookends there. The two most dominant, physically imposing, intimidate you, uh, make grown men who had lifetime 300 averages and hit for 500, 600 home runs, make them weep and reduce them to primordial ooze level pitchers. Um, so that's why I'm going with the four. But I, I I do that with the caveat that I should have at least one more position player there. But no one immediately that was a non-PED user comes to mind Pujols, maybe, I could see actually, okay, um, comes to mind as someone that, okay, clearly belongs in that list above everybody, um, among the rest of his peers. I love this, because I have four people that aren't on your list, and, and I'm not doing that just to not name your n- names, but I think you'll agree that's a pretty good list, too. And my definition is, like, Tom Hanks, like, what a ball player is, uh, Pedro Martinez, like no one in his prime in the history of baseball was a better uh, pitcher. That guy was filthy. Greg Maddox, just, I mean, that's got, he had no physical, great physical attributes. He was just a pitcher. Tony Gwynn, 
a witch with the bat, an absolute witch. See, I thought about putting Pete Rose actually yeah, see, along those right. lines instead of Mariano. Yeah. That's why I went back and, and forth. And my fourth my is a Pete Rose kind of vote, a Charlie Hustle kind of vote, epitomizing the game. It's Cal Ripken Jr. He just showed up and played. I thought about that one too. Yeah. What a great game. I yep. mean, and it's my, I have so much nostalgia for it, but my opinion of it right now is just in the tank. Before we get to our third and final question, reminder, there's 360 little spots in your body from the top of your neck down to the bottoms of your feet called joints, and they are critical for activity and flexibility, but they, as we get older, can also become uh, critical pests because they become little hubs for inflammation, which is why when you try getting flexible, when you try getting active again as you get older, there's that achiness, that stiffness, that lingering soreness that just won't go. Chances are that's too much inflammation in those joints, and that's why you want to find an all-natural anti-inflammatory that is backed by almost three decades of clinical research and almost now three years of me using it daily. So I can personally attest to its effectiveness. I'm out Tomorrow, I'm heading to Michigan to go speak uh, at, a, at the Reagan dinner over there in Hillsdale, Michigan. And we're going to have a special show, by the way, tomorrow. It'll be a new series of evergreens that we're launching. What if? What if certain events in history had changed? And then how would that? How would history have changed accordingly? And we're going to talk about it in real time as if events went differently. And the first one is tomorrow for that specialty show. So make sure we had a lot of fun recording these. So make sure you enjoy listening to them and watching them tomorrow. But even when I head over to Hillsdale tomorrow, I'm taking my Omega XL with me. I take it with me absolutely wherever I go. All right. Because I've I've seen firsthand how well it works. If you want to see firsthand how well it works, get a buy one, get one free bottle right now. Uh, when you go, a little BOGO action. When you go to OmegaXL.com slash Steve, that's OmegaXL.com slash Steve, or give them a call at 800-844-4888, 800-844-4888. Real quick, are you guys, the audience is going to enjoy the what if stuff that we're doing, I think. I think so. Yeah. And they were, Especially I thought they were a lot of fun yeah. to actually yep. put together and simulate and, 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 and act like it's an alternative, you know, uh, view or outcome of history because this event happened, it triggered other events. Yep. Right. So I think you guys are, get, are really going to have fun with this series. And so we're off tomorrow as I'm heading over to speak to Hillsdale's uh, Reagan dinner and it, you'll get a new episode tomorrow. It just won't be the day group or feedback Friday. It will be the first in this what if series. So looking forward to getting you guys' reaction after you get a chance to watch or see that tomorrow. Yeah, if you like alternate history on YouTube or podcasts, I think you'll like uh, I think you'll like this episode tomorrow. Question three is a multi-part question. I'll I'll start first with my answer before uh, or, but before that I, I want to actually ask it. What's one topic you're embarrassed you know as much as you do about? And if you were teaching a college course on this topic, <laughs> what would you name the course and what would be like a, kind of the syllabus outline of of what you're teaching each week? The, uh, what I, I'll start with the, the second part of this question. The name of the college course that I would teach is Why You Never Shut Down a Country, the story of the COVID-19 <laughs> pandemic. And the outline of the class would be just, I think, an entire semester trying to explain offsides in soccer because I would have never started watching <laughs> soccer if it had not been for the pandemic and all of the closings and, and, and shutdowns and things like that. Further evidence of the evil of COVID stand. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, I knew this was going to be good. All right. You ready? I don't know. Am I? If, if I taught a class 
about something I'm ashamed about how much I know about it. This is such a dude code violation, man. It is. Now, in deference to the dude code, acquiring this knowledge at a different time in my life did provide me, shall we call it, certain advantages. We'll just use that term. Oh, no. Okay. Uh-oh. I don't like where this um, is going. Um, history of soap operas. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, used to hang out at Wonders Hall and watch 90210 and hate and, jo- and, and join the I Hate Brenda Club with uh, some of the other girls there in the dorm. I My mom loved Young and the Restless. I knew everything about Victor Newman and Nikki. I can't even remember. I, I can't believe I even still... Jill... I think it was in Genoa City. How do I still know these things? Somebody stab me now. Okay. I, f- I feel like I'm being stabbed. Um, but um, that and Bold and the Beautiful and um, As the World Turns. Wasn't the big villain there back in the 70s or 80s? Wasn't his, wasn't his name John Steinbeck? Like the author. But I think that was the name of like the big villain back in those days. So... Um, Dallas, did I even remember Falcon Crest with the first Mrs. Reagan? And we that's when we first found out what a Lorenzo Lamas was. I mean, finally, I told my mom, I just can't do Knott's Landing, Mom. I'm starting to hit puberty now, and, you know. Um, and then I got into this stuff again in college with 90210 and everything else because I lived in a co-ed dorm, and all the girls were into it, and I was into the girls. So, um History of uh, of soap operas from say 1975 to 1995. That's that that's, would be the name of the course in the syllabus. That's excellent. I have no shame. So, are you just going to let him cop out? No, like that? no you, there has to okay. be. How about the end of at the end? It's kind of like Steve's answer, but it was at the end of the all my girls were little girls phase and the shows they watched. So. Whereas they're now kind of all, even my youngest is going to be a seventh grader. I'm not engaged as much in what they might be watching. I mean, I know about it. I'm just not sitting down family time with them like that. But I know way too much about the mermaids of Mako Island. <laughs> uh, and yes. uh, and it would be titled, uh, How Many Fascinating Ways... Can we get a show about mermaids onto land so we can have another season? Dude, I could teach whole classes on High School Musical, the original three films, on on all the Barbie Life in the Dream houses. But I kind of view those as you know, dad dad things, not sure. not things to be ashamed of. Sure. No, I, mean, I think I could teach Ace. I think at this point, I know I'm I'm young, I'm not even a year of being a father. I think I could take teach a class on the psychology of the big dump truck and little blue truck. That dude is a jerk. <laughs> what a jerk face. This took a Blue dark truck. turn. This took a dark turn at the end. All right, we're going to stick around and record overtime for Blaze TV subscribers looking at some polling results on the Trump vaccine program. For the rest of you, see you tomorrow. John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.